0: Hello there i'm Aaron Martel i'm Sam i'm the professor worlds are colliding <laughs> and i'm Lou Pagaro and welcome to ridiculous rock record reviews a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice on this episode we have a big round table with two very special guest co-pilots and fellow podcasters joining us from the great state of america podcast we have the two hosts with us David Hudson and Ian Rice. Fellas, welcome to the R4 Podcast.
1: Oh, thanks for having us on, guys. Really been looking forward to this. Pleasure to be here with
0: everybody. Yeah, looking forward to it, Aaron. Thanks for having me on for a third time. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be great. And since we have the foremost Black Crows podcasters here with us, why don't we review a Black Crows album? We've already done the Southern Harmony and Musical Companion and Amorica, so David suggested we review the Crows' 2001 album, Lions. So, David, let's start off with you. You did the Southern Harmony review with us, so why don't you give us like a quick recap of how you got into the Black Crows and where you come in with Lions?
2: Uh, just like everybody else with Shake Your Money Maker, and then uh, Southern Harmony came out. And I really liked it, and I was just kind of a casual fan, honestly, during the 90s. And when they did the tour with Led, uh, with, Jimmy Page, I just became a massive fan and went back and realized I didn't pay quite enough attention to Three Snakes and Amorica. And uh, Lions was actually the first album that came out after I had just become a freak about it. And so uh, it was one of the most anticipated albums for me that that I've ever had. And uh, it is as divisive amongst the fan base as it can be. You'll see Ian and I have a little bit different opinion on it than most of the other Black Rose fans.
0: All right. Ian, this is your first go-around with us, so please tell us your Crows history and where you come in with Lions.
1: I kind of came in with the Crows around Southern Harmony time. You know, I was into Remedy and, you know, the, the singles off the album, but I didn't really do the deep dive until I discovered the Three Snakes and One Charm album, and then I was instantly hooked. But the Lions tour is actually the first tour I saw the band on. It's on at Radio City Music Hall in New York City, and uh, just, you know, that was, much like David, that was the... The full point at which I, uh, I was uh, a knucklehead, a Black Crow's knucklehead from there on
0: out. You dove in. Yeah, that's right. Sam, your history.
3: Well, I, I came in, you know, like everyone else with uh, Shake Your Money Maker. Um, I, I liked, you know, Otis Ratting's version of uh, Hard to Handle. And when, they, when I saw somebody remake it, you know, I know it's been done a million times, but I liked, I liked the Crow's version. So I kind of hung with them, and I got to see him a few times. Um, after I saw them the first time, uh, I was I was in because they were great. I have seen them a couple times after that. You know, I've seen them four times, but there were the two in the middle were fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I love the music so much. I stuck with them, and uh, and over the years, I just became that's that's one of my bands. I I, I grew up with them, and I I, I think they're very important. They're very very important to me. You know, they were top ten band for me, man. I love them.
4: Great, professor. Well, I came late to the Crows. I didn't even really start getting into them until 2005. But uh, I do remember, I have clear memories of hearing three songs when they were released as singles. Hard to handle. I remember that video being played and jamming uh, jamming on the jukebox at uh, the NCO Club and RAF Chicksands. Those were my Hale days. I remember hearing and liking Remedy when it was released, not only because it was a great song full of all the elements that appealed to me, but because it wasn't Nirvana or Guns N' Roses. In 1992, I was kind of sick of both since they dominated the Armed Forces Radio, Smells Like Team Spirit, and Knocking on Heaven's Door. I had had enough of those. And then finally, soul singing. Uh, I was working as a defense contractor in a three-person department that was secluded from the rest of the office, and we could blast our music after lunch without distracting anybody. And I just remember really liking this song. And that song in the video was my introduction to this album. But I didn't get this album until after I got Jimmy Page and the Black Crows when it was finally released on CD because I wasn't going to buy anything off the Internet in 1999 or 2000, whenever it came out. I got the CD as a throwaway from Columbia House. The Napster of the of the Gen Xers was Columbia House. So. Lou. I came in
5: at the beginning to Shake Your moneymaker. What was that, 90. Um, mm-hmm. There was Jane's, there was Guns N' Roses, these guys, Blind Melon. A little bit later, music was changing for the better, uh, a more no-frills approach to rock and roll. These guys had that Stonesy sound that I like, two rooty rock guitars with a lanky singer with a plucky attitude, sort of like Guns N' Roses with a hippie for a singer. Two years later, they blew my mind with Southern Harmony and Musical Companion. Then two after that, Amorica, to a lesser extent, I bought that because of the Hustler cover it had. But the uh, but by the time Three Snakes came out, um, there was like one or good two good songs for me. And the rest didn't grab me like uh, the first two did. So by the time your, uh, By Your Side came out, I think I bought it, but there was like one song that I liked on it. So I completely ignored Lions until last week when I started listening to it. Uh, actually, two weeks ago. So... That's where I come in with this album.
0: All right, uh, okay, confession time. I dig the Black Crows. Liked them ever since I heard "Jealous Again" on the radio and saw them open for Aerosmith. I got the first three albums pretty much right when they came out, and I like all three: "Shaking Money Maker," "Southern Harmony," and Amorica. But then I just stopped. And I'm not sure why, but by the time Three Snakes and One Charm came out, I, I checked out of The Crows. And I do remember when the records were released, and I always thought, oh yeah, Black Crows, good band. But I'd never picked up any of the albums past Amorica. And Lions was really foreign to me. I barely even blipped on my radar, and I didn't know a single track off it until about a month ago, when I listened to the album for the first time in preparation for this podcast. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, brought to you from Wikipedia. Lions is the sixth studio album by American rock band The Black Crows, released on May 7, 2001 on V2 Records. It was produced by Don Woz and was recorded from January to February 2001 at Montana Rehearsal Studios and Theater 99 Recording, New York City, New York. It reached number 20 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and has no certifications for albums sold. And here's the band's lineup card we've got. Chris Robinson on vocals and harmonica. Rich Robinson on guitar, bass, guitar, piano, and vocals. Steve Gorman on drums and percussion. Ed Harsh on keyboards. And Audley Freed on guitar. There are additional musicians, which we'll mention as we see fit. And also, all tracks are written by Rich and Chris Robinson. All right, let's do a track-by-track analysis of this album. We get things going with Midnight from the Inside Out.
2: David, what do you think? Well, the Crows are known for having great opening tracks on all their albums, with the exception of By Your Side. I did not like the song Go Faster. So they definitely carried on the tradition here. The song starts with what sounds like a botched intro and then just playing through it and 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 going, getting back into it. We kind of know Steve Gorman a little bit. He's been on the podcast. I've, I've talked to him several times in person, and he'll always answer questions if I... You know, uh, ask him something. So, asked him, was this planned or is this an accident? He said it was planned. So, uh, the the music kicks in and it's got kind of a Zeppelin feel to it. Um, you know, they just gotten off the road with Jimmy Page. There's no way that playing those songs didn't influence Rich. Rich is a huge riff guy. He loves big, loud guitars and, and riffs. And uh, Chris is singing in a really high register. Uh, for somebody that's this far into his career and, you know, has been on, been touring as much as he has. I love the course. I love the kind of the, the, during the verses, the, the kind of way the um, organ and the guitar are in tandem going through there with the little melody. Um, I think they get lost on um, when they're going into the solo. It's not really much of a solo and you have the children talking in the background and you have like the chimes going. Other than that, um, the song—I I don't have any anything else negative to say about it. I think it's pretty obvious. It's about drugs. It's got the song, the line, a needle in a spoon, cotton candy, and you know, swimming in water. And but it's like molasses and can't breathe. Uh, which you know, they've all had chemical issues and and kind of live in that world. But uh, th- if this is the first song you're hearing off this, you think there's it's going to be a good rock album and it's going to have
1: a little bit of a psychedelic tinge to it. Ian. Yeah, I mean, I agree with David. It, uh, there was such a, a great opening to this album and this track, and and they did it quite a bit on tour as well as the as the set opener. I think it, it kind of sets the stage for the album. And uh, Steve Gorman is a monster on this track. He's a monster throughout the entire album, but is particularly on this track. And it also showcases Rich's riffs that are also... Uh, Big for this album. This is when Rich started using Harry Joyce amps and and really experimenting more with guitar effects. And and it really shows there's not as much emphasis on guitar solos and things like that. It's more of an overall sound. And that's what kind of Lions is in general to me. And particularly on this song, it's, it's about the sound, the sound of that riff and how powerful it is. Sam. I, I agree with you guys. Uh, I,
3: I don't know if I like the start and restart intro. Um, I like how hard it hits. You know, like what like you said, Gorman, and and uh, you you know right away that the bass on this record is going to sound beefy as fuck, and I love that too. But once we get into it, it's a you know like a blues rock grinder that makes me want to crank it, and most of the records like that. And I really like the effects on Chris's uh, on the vocal and. He's not—he's not the greatest singer in the world, but he squeezes every out of ounce of molasses out of every fucking note, man. And I love that about him, and that's why he's one of my favorite frontmen. He reminds me of like—if you take uh, Robert Plant and and Steven Tyler and Mick Jagger, and they all had a baby, and then you fed that kid cornbread for his whole fucking life, man. But <laughs> he's 13. You give him his first joint, and say.
4: Smoke up, Chris, <laughs> you know, and, I just the just and so he tells you you rolled it wrong and redoes it.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, and I
3: love it. you turn around and they all fall down. It's very singable, man. I love this for an opener. Um, it's, it's, it's great. I'm, I'm digging this.
4: Prof. But I like the very faint quiet you hear and then the hum of the amp and then that feedback and that slimy riff and the snare hits. The dive bomb into the riff and that false start, to me, is like a nod to Zeppelin, It's like Tangerine, but heavier, a lot heavier. The lyrics evoke a drug-addled Jane's Addiction, Ring Around the Rosie vibe. Ironic that Ring Around the Rosie was a song about the Black Plague. But hey, uh, looking at the lyrics, it has me thinking the protagonist is going through a cold turkey withdrawal. The, the guitar is gritty and powerful. In fact, the album can, as a whole can be characterized as being riff heavy. The drums are thunderous as they drive the riff along. I don't like the, the effect that they put on Chris's voice. It sounds like he's singing into a megaphone, into a microphone, which is a little too, all too common at that time. Like R.E.M.'s uh, Orange Crush, Rage Against the Machine did it, Muse, Velvet Revolver. It just was kind of like a cliche move. Um, I don't know if he did that. I've never seen them play this one live, but I just, that doesn't sit too right with me, but I love the song. It does have some uh, great lyrical imagery. You with that fast and, and fur-lined mind with your disregard of time, for Virtue Horizon. It's a great album opener and a great concert opener. Lou. Quiet. <laughs>
5: <laughs> this is the sound of a boutique valve guitar amp pushed to its goddamn seams. It groans into tune just as he and the drums grind into like a false start and then slide back into that bend again. This time, his out-of-tune guitar does his bidding, and they fall into the song. Sounds like an angry band all in the room together, slogging this out as loud as they can, which turns out they're not. Um, Turns out Rich did most of the bass work on this album. It's a sinister melody by Chris. Turn around and they all fall down. We've all said it, mocking the nursery rhyme, London Bridge. It's a bit of a snotty opener, more attitude than it is banger. But so far, it's what I've come to expect from these guys. So it's it's a decent opening track. I like it.
0: A slow, loose, bluesy rocker with deliberately sloppy guitars and feedback squalls. To me, this has the feel of a drunken jam amongst friends, except for Steve Gorman on drums. He's holding everything together like a boss. Brother Chris Robinson has weird effects on his voice. We said this. I don't like it either. And the backing vocals in the chorus sound odd and jarring to me. I don't like that turnaround. around and I found down. That annoys me a little bit. The lyrics are a bit obscure, but I take them to be about a drug-fueled trip or vision provided by a needle, mirror, spoon, and cotton candy. Now, I got to think it's hard to breathe molasses. It's a strange, noisy opener, but it's not out of my wheelhouse. I can definitely hang with it. The next track is Lickin'.
6: You yeah, want a mouthful full of Scorpio You yeah, want my.
0: Ian, your thoughts?
1: I am in the minority with this track apparently because I really like musically like this track. Uh, it's lyrically where it falls down for me, but like, musically, Rich is Rich is toggling between the two pickups: one with the volume all the way down, one with the volume all the way up, and that's how you get that kind of delayed guitar tone that he has. And it's a really cool riff and idea that he did on this. It's just Chris doesn't really bring it to the table in terms of lyrics; they're they're very lazy. I think. And it doesn't, it's surprising to me that this was the first single, but they always have weird picks for the first single anyway. So. Sam. I I love
3: this song, man. I I love the, eh, eh, eh. I mean, how can you not like that? That's so fucking catchy to me, man. And I, I was going to uh, tell everybody, you know, to toggle between, you know, or if you have a toggle switch or you need to pick up some volume controls to play the song. And I love that part about it. It's, so it's, you know, you'd crank your amp, too, kids. Don't be afraid to turn it all the way up. And then, uh you know, you fret the notes while you toggle and it's fun. It's really fun, actually.
5: You won't it's, break it's,
3: it. No, it won't. It'll be fine. If it's a tube amp, it'll be fine. Just They, they knew that you were going to crank it when they made it. So go ahead. Crank the motherfucker to 10 or 11 if you have one of those. A few of these songs in this record, is gonna, the choruses are going to be weaker than the verses to me. Um, and this is one of those. I love the uh, uh, this catchy shit. And then the, the they got a cool breakdown, and there's a cool solo. And behind the solo, is a cool funky riff. I like that. It's interesting effects on the rhythm guitar during that part right there. And uh, I, th- I think the song is about eating pussy. Um, but it's two in a row, man. So I'm I'm, we're, I'm on board.
4: Professor, <laughs> eating pussy, huh? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, but still. Um, <laughs> Rich's toggle switch riff, followed by that funky, bubbling, wah pedal laden bass line. I'm with you, Ian. Musically, the song is thumping, even if it's a full funnel assault on the ears. But mm, I don't like how Chris is delivering the lyrics. The eh, 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 is the only thing that annoys me. And But my main issue with this song, just like uh, Van Halen's Dancing in the Street which the music is awesome, and the song itself sucks. Uh, my issue is with the 14-year-old who wrote the chorus. Um, <laughs> Night and day like a mule I'm kicking, girl, you're going to catch a licking. yeah. It's funny that he picked. you guys picked this album because we just did this. And uh, I have a quote from David Hudson from when we just did it. This is a good poison song. <laughs> 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 it's too dumbed down and pandering from a band that gave us Thorn in My Pride, Gone, Descending, Good Friday. Hell, even she gave Good Sunflowers better lyrically by miles. Now the solo is actually pretty good, but way too short. And at the end of Catch a Licking, Catch a Licking, I keep thinking, who are these guys? Sugar Ray? No wonder this one is the one single. This is the one of the most hated singles that the Crows have ever put out in their library. Now you like that, huh? <laughs> I did <it> like that? <laughs> that struck me funny. <laughs> Sugar
0: Ray, <laughs> that one struck me funny. Lou. This
5: reminds me of Jack White now, like now what he's doing now in, in his solo career, even the guitar switch calisthenics. He kind of pulled that from these guys or this song or whatever. It sounds very, very far. I can name you at least three off of his his latest solo album that remind me of this, even the vocal delivery. It also reminds me of what Kiss did in Master and Slave uh, in the pre-chorus. It's there's some throwback to that, too, if you listen to it. Um, it's a funky rocker. It, del- it delivers. I, I like it, even, even with the.
2: <laughs> David. There are seven songs in the Black Crowes catalog that are completely indefensible. That are horrible. And this is one of them. As we say, as we say in the South, you can't polish a turd, right? This thing is horrible. The lyrics are embarrassing. Like I said, this is a great Poison song. It's a horrific Black Crow song. It's one of the worst ideas they've ever had. It was the lead single. It appeals to the lowest common denominator. And the only thing cool about it is, yeah, Ian, I'm talking to you. The only thing cool about it is the toggle switch deal. If this was an instrumental, it would be great. Now, we'll say this. Chris's vocal delivery during the courses. Is very spirited. He's putting his all into it, but like a mule, I'm kicking. Girl, you're gonna catch a licking. Bob Dylan lyrics. These are not. Uh, I hate this song. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Wow, tell us how you really feel. Well, they call me Hot Takes Hudson sometimes. That's and true. It, th- this one gets me worked up.
3: <laughs> what, wasn't these, he? These folks are the best when uh, people disagree. <laughs> so I'm just gonna say this is gonna be great. <laughs> wasn't he dating
2: Kate Hudson at the time? Yeah, they guess, they had they had uh, just started dating. If I understand the timeline, in an interview, Chris said that she influenced the, the songwriting in a subtle way. Uh, it was his solo album that came out after this that is just, you know, basically an ode to her. But yeah, they had they would get married. Was it New Year's Eve two thousand? Mm-hmm. I mean. So um, this was in the can before they got married, but they were definitely a thing.
4: Like she, she came in like when they were writing some songs, Mm -hmm. they were, they had a lot of the songs already written. And then she, she showed they, their relationship started from what I could tell by, by, and the only thing we have is Gorman's book and the internet. And, you know,
0: well, this is not subtle.
4: (laughs) No, this is more than
5: more than subtle, but to tell you the truth, that's all I'd be singing about too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My ears do detect a bit of funk in these kill-switched staccato guitar and bass tones. Thank you, Brother Rich Robinson. And then the fuzz tone comes in hot on the choruses. And we get a slide solo and tambourine action. Mmm, tasty. And what lyrical goodness does Brother Chris offer up this time? This needs to be reiterated. Night and day, like a mule, I'm kicking. Girl, you gonna catch a lickin', yeah. Heads up, Kate Hudson, you're in for a good time tonight. I Have Fun With This, and it was the first single from the album that reached number nine on the U.S. Billboard Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. I'm going
4: to need a shower after
0: how you said that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) or a cigarette (laughs) one.
4: That (laughs) was so sleazy.
0: The following track is Come On. Sam, what do you think? Um,
3: it's got the the Hendrix chord is, uh, to open it, and I, I think that's always cool. I love the the way he sings this one, man. And it's he's got, you know, Chris Robinson. He's really good when he wants to, you know, hit it. Well, you know, like Jagger and Steven Tyler. I really like the way he sings it. So, but this is this fun rocker that pushes this groovy record further, and I'm I'm all in. It was three in a row. Yeah, but come on, come on, let's get things started. Yeah, the lyrics, you guys are probably going to say the lyrics. So they do, but it's a fun song, man. And sometimes you just want to have fun, a good time, you know. Don't need nothing but a good time. How can I resist?
0: So <laughs> what you did.
4: Yeah. Prof. So this is where the the they banded the album. They left no space between the tracks, kind of like what they did with Sgt. Pepper. And this is where it started to annoy me. The, uh, are you feeling, are you feeling me grooving you? Did I get it right to you? No, not really. Did it creep right up in your bones? We be frightfully righteous. And if you don't like us, man, take your ear holes and go home. Bye bye, go home. Seems like a lot of their fans at this point from the first four albums did exactly that. They abandoned this. To me, this song sounds more like Third Eye Blind. It's the, hey, we need an anthemic song. Let's think semi-charm kind of life, but only not as good. Sonically, it's another blitzkrieg on your ears. I, I don't like this tune. <laughs> so.
0: Lou.
5: Here's the difference between these guys and the grunge dudes. The complexity of the rips are on a classic rock scale uh, here. Listen to that turnaround. And let's give it up for Don Was on the bass for this track, uh,
2: Again, stellar effort. I like the track. David? Uh, this is another one of the Unmagnificent Seven that they have written. <laughs> I, I just feel like they came to him and said, guys, we need a big arena rock song. And this is what they could come up with. Uh, to me, the lyrics have no value. It's possibly the worst course of their career. I hate songs that sing about, quote unquote, rocking or getting the party started or, you know, anything like that. And that's what this is. It's just them trying to get on the radio and have a big song to play, uh, you know, like in an arena. And that's, that's about all I got to say about it. I just, I
1: can't stand it. Ian. Well, I'm not as down on this one as David is, but th- honestly on this album, this is the the one track that really bothers me to a degree. Cause it, whereas midnight from the inside out works as an opener, this one is almost trying too hard to work as an opener. And I, it's just something about this that falls apart. I mean, if I'm not mistaken in the, Middle passage. There's a cell phone ring for an effect in there, and it sounds very odd. And uh, I just—I've never been able to connect with this
0: song. I don't think it's—I think it's the dud on the album. Wow! Believe it or not, I'm on Team Lou and Sam on this one. You know, you hang with Jimmy Page long enough, playing his tunes, a bit of that Zeppelin mojo is bound to sink into your fingers. And hear the crows bring the pagey riffs and combine it with some soul-infused keyboard horns and groovy organ. Hello, Mr. Ed Harsh. Producer Don Wuzz walks that bass himself and throws in some bells and whistles and more tambourine to keep this thing rollicking. And Brother Chris is feeling frightfully righteous. So come on and groove on this thing with the crows, because they got the remedy for what ails you. The next track is No Use Lying.
4: Professor, lead us off. So the ear-pounding subsided from the first couple songs and gives way to this dark and ominous wah guitar riff, which morphs into the descending slow, forceful riff. Lyrically, I'm guessing this song is about a girl Chris was seeing. Steve mentioned in his book that it was a bad relationship that Chris tried to keep secret from the rest of his band. And I quote, he was in an on-again, off-again relationship with a straight-up nightmare of a woman. He was embarrassed about it and tried to hide the fact that they were still seeing each other. But they all knew he was miserable. So obviously, if you look at these lyrics and hear what he's saying, she was toxic and uh, she rocked him hard and screwed up his life. The music has a definite Zeppelin influence to it, but it also has an unfinished feel to it due to the clumsy chorus. And uh, Steve mentioned this in his book about this album. If Kevin Shirley was producing, a lot of the writing gaps would have been filled and I kind of agree with him on that.
0: Lou.
5: You'd think by the fourth song in, my man would get his guitar in tune. <laughs> or at least tune to the other guitar. I don't know. <laughs> this one drags a bit, too. When he sings I Don't Want It To End, I'm thinking I do. Um, <laughs> he, he sounds like he's fed up. He's tired of someone's bullshit. That I can identify with. But no use lying. This song is tedious.
2: David. All right, so we're getting to the part of the album where they're starting to experiment with different sounds that they haven't really done in their career. And I love when bands do that. Um, I cannot stand when bands just keep putting, you know, ACDC, I guess, is the only one that can get away, in my mind, that can get away with it. In my opinion, Steve Gorman's the star of this song. His drumming is just, it's heavy. Uh, He's doing these great feels on it. Uh, Very Bonham-esque, some of it. I like the sludginess of it. When I was listening to it, I was like, you know, Jerry Cantrell might like this one. You know, it's so, it's so sludgy. Um, one of the things that you'll find on this album is is Chris's lyrics are a lot more direct than they normally are. It's one of the great things about a lot of their songs. The lyrics are kind of ambiguous. And I think he has said, like, you know, I may write it for one thing and you interpret it as another and you're not wrong. Um, you know, it's whatever you want it to be. It's one of the few times that he swears on um, a uh, Black Crow's song. Uh, Now you'll see him in concert (laughs) That's different But I like the song I like the fact that they uh, tried this I believe it's only been played live once And if you're a fan of the Crows They play everything I, I, I can think of only one or two songs That's never even been played live And so for them to only play this live once I got a feeling it's probably hard to play live It's got a weird tempo And you've got those feels by Gorman I think Ed Harsh sounds good on this In the background like he always does I actually do like this
1: song. Ian? I'm a fan of this song as well. I think it has a real swampy feel to it. The riff is, is fantastic. The effects that Rich is using on his guitar is great. And there's a lot of breathing room in the song. There's a lot of air in between the notes and, and things. And I think that's that's kind of cool. But I think it also is probably the reason why it wasn't played live that much, as with a couple other tracks on this album, too. they They kind of don't. Translate well into a into a larger concert setting, uh, but I think, I think this is where the album starts to get back on track. I, you know, uh, Lickin and "Come On" kind of a little, little faltering for me, and then it kind of things pick up again after this track. I, I love it. Sam,
3: uh, man, right away with me. I love the tone with the fuzz and the the wah. I, oh, man, there's probably something else on there, but I, I, I'm not sure what it is. This could be a number of things. But I, And I love that riff. I love the call and response part in the verse, man. Again, here, they keep having strong verses and weaker choruses to me, to my ear. Um, I don't mind choruses at all is what I'm saying. I think the verses are just kind of stronger for me. And I love the way Chris sings it. It's fantastic but especially that call and response thing when it goes, to the, when the you know, clock chimes, 12, and it has that little bit of hesitation. Dude, that's like a, ah, my, I come a little bit, dude. I can't help it <laughs> And I love that. <laughs> and I, so that's five in a row for me, or however many in a row. This has no bad songs, in my opinion, so far.
0: It's very strong. At first, I was feeling dazed and confused when this track started. I was under the spell of the wah-wah, then it turns into a slow guitar mood piece with some outstanding bass work from Brother Rich. He's bobbing and weaving with Gorman's easy groove. And this one works hard to grind it out as it goes. The guitar's crunch like the cappin' himself without milk, and Brother Chris is feeling the squeeze. This chick gives it up to our boy, and just as he's dazzled with the nookie, she gives him the bullshit, and he wants no part of that. Is that you playing games, Miss Hudson? Tell you what, if Brother Chris don't want you around his back door, you can come around to mine. Deal? The following track is Losing My Mind.
5: Lou let's have it something about a Hammond just makes my ears perk up gives it like plus one extra soul this is right out of a Led Zeppelin 3 playbook all sides acoustic intro check cultural appropriation check weird guitar tone check orchestral strings albeit a keyboard check I I get a bit tired of it halfway through though the phased out guitar is still out of tune and the effect makes it worse, uh, so I'm gonna pass on this one too, dog.
0: David.
2: Well, you know, Chris is singing in a in a much cleaner register this time than he would go on in su- subsequent albums to sing this a lot more to preserve preserve his voice. Um, I like this song a lot. There's several versions floating around in the bootleg world. Bootleg world. There's one that's actually better than this one. I'm sure Ian's probably going to talk about it, but um, you know, it's a very straightforward narrative I have here. This is their version of U2's With or Without You. Can't you live with you. I can't live without you. You know, he loves this person. He hates this person. He's going to stay with them. Uh, he knows how it's going to go, but he just can't walk away. And uh, for the second time in their catalog, young Rich Robinson gets a lead vocal for a little bit and, Rich's voice has come a long way since then. It was still pretty kind of weak at times. And and we talk about on our podcast, he picks covers to play that he just nails because it falls in his vocal wheelhouse. I do like the flanger effect on the course. And uh, um, like I said, um, this is their version of U2's With or Without You. I like this. It's very, very rarely ever been played, like 10 or 12 times. Uh, But it's, again, them doing something they haven't done
1: before, and I, I commend them for that. Ian. I'm a fan of this song, too. There is another version of this that came out on a V2 Records compilation that preceded the album. And the electric guitar is much higher in the mix. And it kind of does wonders for it. Because to me, the the acoustic guitar sounds a a bit out of tune and it's kind of off-putting to me. But I mean, otherwise, I mean, Ed Harsh is all over this thing. Sounds fantastic. Steve, as usual, fantastic. And uh, it's one of the uh, better songs on the album.
0: Sam. Um, I'm a fan of the
3: song too. This is, this album is blowing my hair back a little bit. Digging it. You know, know, this song, they mellow out a little bit, but I think it's welcome in the sequence. Uh, We got some organ behind some acoustics and I'm in right away. It's got an old school seventies jam band feel. I'm in right away. And I want to sop up a biscuit with it, man. (laughs) Fucking sweet. I love it. It's like gravy. And like uh, like Ian and Doug's, David said, that it's uh, one of those "I love you, I hate you" songs that we've heard a million times, man. And it's fine. Another song again that where the the chorus is not as strong as the verse. I mean, it keeps happening over and over. I don't know why I dig it though. It's just six in a row for me, or whatever number this is. I'm I'm loving it.
4: Professor Perry. This is one of the songs that they worked on with Don Waz at Montana Studios in Manhattan as they fleshed out the demos. This song reminds me a little of Memory Motel meets Shine a Light. With the gospel entrance organ and uh, Chris and Rich each singing, Chris is on the verses and Rich is on the pre-chorus. No matter what I want to believe, nothing like this comes easily. It's the I love you, I hate you. Who hasn't been in one of those kind of relationships? the lyric that strikes me is how your web has been spun and I'm out of my mind and it ain't no fun. She sounds like such a treat, doesn't she? (laughs) The guitar for the bridge, since it isn't really a solo, sounds like a passage from another band that I can't quite put my finger on. And I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And I came up with, it sounds like blind melon soup, the song. And once again, another nineties thing, um, Rich's playing is showing a lot of his Page Zeppelin influence. The orchestration and build-up really creates a musical momentum to nowhere. Then it fades out. I dislike fade-outs. And this one makes me feel like the payoff of the momentum was stolen from the listener. Overall, the song reveals the maturity that has only been pigging its head out over this, over this and by, the By Your Side album. Even if it sounds kind of eh, unfinished. The boys break out the acoustic
0: guitars and try the Zeppelin trick of slapping the acoustic sounds onto the electric ones, while Ed Harsh's organs hangin' back and hangin' low, dude's packin'. Then slap me silly, there's a string section arranged by some cat named Tease Goal that damn near takes over the fucking tune and kinda of messes it up for me. Is this your genius idea, Don was? Brother Chris is in love and, wait, wait, no, 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 he hates her. Shit, that Kate is an enchantress. She's beguiled our boy and he's losing his mind over her. I'm starting to feel bad for this dimwit. I'm half and half on this one. This is a case where the extra goo gums up the works too much for me. The next track is Ozone Mama. David, lead us off. Another one of the
2: unmagnificent seven here. Uh, you guys ever see the movie Ishtar back in the 80s? No. Yes. Do you remember yes. how it was built? This is Ishtar? Oh my bad. god.
4: It was supposed to be the best, best yeah. movie yeah, ever made. Is then Ishtar it w- then it became the worst movie ever made. <laughs> and yeah. I well, this
2: it. this is possibly the worst Black Crow song ever. Chris loves reggae and he loves that kind of music, and he does it really well when he sings other people's music. He does a great punky reggae at a uh, Marley benefit, uh, and I love reggae, and I've always said he needs to do a reggae album. But, man, sonically, it's got some promise to it, like, but the lyrics are just horrific. Now, I do like the harmonica playing by Chris. I think that's a little bit of redeeming quality to it, and Ed plays fun organ parts. But when you have lyrics like this, well, listen, said it's a trip, y'all, get hip to this, y'all, it will get y'all, make you flip, y'all, gonna hit y'all, Never quit y'all right in the middle of our minds. That bug will bite y'all, make you itch y'all, inch by inch y'all till you're tall y'all. See if it all y'all never near and far y'all. We won't ever let it drag. The funny feeling got me reeling like I'm walking on the ceiling. Do it to me now. That is as bad as it gets.
0: It sounds so much worse when you say it as opposed to him
2: (laughs) saying it. It's kind of like, uh, you guys should check this out on YouTube. Uh, Jeff Tweedy of Wilco is at a fundraising event, and he said if they raised X amount of money, he would play whatever song they want. Well, what's the song? It's a song by the Black Eyed Peas. Um, wow, well, what's the, their big hit? About, about, it's about partying. They got a, they got a feeling. Uh, I've got a. Tonight's going to be a good night. Oh, whatever yeah, that yeah, yeah, He actually writes down the lyrics and strums to it. They are a little bit better, <laughs> better than this. <laughs> I mean, th- this is in the running with Diamond Ring. is the worst
0: song the Black Crows have ever written. Would have been better if they made them play my humps. Yeah.
1: Ian. The beautiful thing about the Black Crows to me and why I love them so much is I can find something to enjoy in even their worst moments. So that's, um, that's why I'm able to appreciate Ozone Mama a little bit more. It has one of Chris's coolest harmonica runs in it. I really think that that sounds great. Yes, lyrically it is a little you know if you write them down and say to them you know just speak them out they sound a little stupid but it's kind of like you know uh, Joe Elliott pointed out one time you know Dave Leopard that it's not necessarily always what you're saying it's how you're saying it you know like the hubcap diamond star halo thing and it's it's more of Chris's delivery than really what he's saying on this track it's more of a feeling a vibe um That being said, I mean, I, I do agree with David. This is probably one of the worst songs in their catalog, but I can find you know elements of it to enjoy, and that's 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 what's great
0: about the Black crows Sam, you love it, don't you?
3: Yes, yes, I love it. <laughs> you guys are crazy. Are we listen to different records, man. <laughs> this is this is insane. <laughs> I love it. It's funky, man. It's not what he's saying. Yeah, the lyrics are fucking stupid, man, but how he (laughs) says it is fucking cool as shit, man. I I mean, yeah, we can all kind of make fun of it. We can make fun of it, man, but it's fucking groovy as fuck, man. It's funky. It's funky as hell, and I like funk. I like reggae or whatever, you know, yeah, I dig it, but... I mean, I don't. I wrote down here on my notes: you don't have a hair on your balls if you don't groove to this motherfucker.
2: That's
3: what I wrote down. And I love this harmonica solo.
2: And for sponsored me, by Manscaped. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love this song, man. And Ray hinted that you guys or that he didn't like the song, and you guys didn't like the song to me, and everything. I was like, ah, you're crazy, man. Critics are cynical assholes. But then I also realized. That everybody on this show's a critic. So. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Very nice. Hello, pot. Hello, pot.
3: So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> know, right? And uh, but that's that's. Uh, there's not a bad song on the record so far for me.
0: You hear that, Manscape? We
4: need a sponsor, <laughs> Professor. Okay, I got a text yesterday, January thirteenth at nine seventeen p.m. from the one and only Sam George. It only says, Ozone Mama is the shit. That was it. <laughs> I waited to answer until this afternoon. <laughs> I guess I didn't want to bust this bubble. So <laughs> here we go with that funk organ, that funk again. It's a spacey kind of funk. It's not quite rap, but more of a beat poet scat. I didn't get the reggae part at all. I, I, I don't know why I missed that, but that's what it came to me. The beat poet scat is Chris's approach to the verses, with a little southern drawl thrown in for some good measure. I was wondering if Chris thought that since was the, this was the time of the rock rap fusion, Limp Biscuit, Corn, and the like, that he thought blues funk and beat poet. That's a good type of fusion. Uh, hats off to him for experimenting with new sounds and directions. Maybe with the right producer, it would have been fleshed out fuller and would have been even better than what it is. The wall licks and the organ flashes thrown in and, and doing that call-and-response talking to each other are kind of cool over that bouncy, slappy bass. I am not mentioning the lyrics at all because they're just I'm just going to ignore them. Um, it's spacey, hippie funk. The guitar playing starts doing some different licks and throwing different licks in in the second verse. Makes me, the listener, look forward to a solo after that second chorus. Small musical break and... A harmonica solo? What? I feel cheated out of a bluesy funk wah guitar solo here. Come on, give me a little bit. Just a little bit. The outro wah picking uh, only makes me want a full solo in the song even more. Boy, I don't like this song. Lou?
5: Now I I figured out why I'm like almost the polar opposite as... as uh... David and Ian on the, I, I haven't been listening to the lyrics at all. Um, I just figure they're going to be stupid. Um, <laughs> so, and usually you guys do such a better, you, you guys do such a better job with, with taking care of them. So I haven't really been listening, but okay, I'll give it that. Anybody else getting it, Uh, Manfred Mann's blinded by the light cover, uh, in the intro a little bit with those, those keys, I guess it's in the keys tone. Um, they borrow a lot from their influences on this and everything else that they do. They're a melting pot of '70s rock with a '90s mindset. I even get Partridge Family in that intro. I could feel your heartbeat, and you didn't even say word, right. <laughs> Very Chili Peppers-ish melody line, but it quickly slips back into the Robinson territory. He borrows from Hunky Chateau era Elton John in the chorus. The harmonica solo fits perfectly in
0: with the Stones meet Zeppelin influence. I like this tune. Give a little bit. What was that text you said? uh, Ozone Mama is the shit? Mm Mm-hmm. No, Ozone Mama is shit. (laughs) You know, I always wondered where Zeppelin's Ozone Baby came from, and lo and behold, the crows were hiding Ozone Mama all this time, except the kid don't sound nothing like the mother, as it turns out. This is some more funky soul stuff. Highlights for me are that swinging Gorman beat and harshest keyboards, coating the track like a soulful painter getting funky with that brush. The guitarists smartly take a back seat on this, but Brother Chris, what the fuck are you doing in these verses, man? If I hear you say y'all one more time in that goofy-ass cadence, I might take a page out of the prof's book and just throttle your throat to shut you up. He does make up for it, though, with some decent blues harp, though. So all is forgiven. There will be no throttling today. I got no clue what he's singing about, and I don't care one iota, but I think he wants to get laid again. I'll go with that. The following track is Greasy Grass River. Ian,
1: what do you think? This is actually one of the few songs that uh, credits Oddly Freed as playing on, uh, playing the guitar. So also, Craig Ross from Lenny Kravitz's band is on this one. And uh, I really like this tune. I think Steve is playing uh, in an odd time signature to my ears, and it really kind of, it works, but I, I don't know how he maintains that without it all falling apart, but it somehow all works. And I, I really like the kind of, this has a very Southern vibe to me. I mean, I know David's probably cursing me out or something for saying that because I'm a true blue northerner here, but uh, I think I think this is an excellent track, and it really works well in concert. They flesh it out a little bit more. It's a little longer uh, on stage, and it's, I think it's great. Sam.
3: Well, what do you guys think? I probably like this song right? <laughs> <laughs> I love a it. song man. It's coming strong. I love the delay on his voice. This time, though, uh, the chorus is stronger than the verse. I love, it's like, life is so easy, that greasy grass river. I love that, that descending. A little, And then the Oz," after, you know, the, there's something something we got to say. Man, uh, I got to speak up because I keep forgetting to say this. The, the Crows sound different than any other 90s band in the 90s. I mean, I, I disagree with you, Ray, completely. That's just wrong. <laughs> they sound like a Southern rock band in the in the nineties, which that was not popular, man. It was all the Seattle scene and shit when these guys were doing this. And uh, this was after that, of course. This was during like new metal. Limp biscuit uh, the Crows do not do not sound like Limp Biscuit at all, dude. Okay, I have to say what? that. Poor. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, I forgot to say it last time. Anyways. And uh, this, this sounds like the classic Crows, man. And and I, I love the way the, it, while the solo's going on, the rest of the guys are hitting hard, man. They're playing like Gorman. Gorman is fucking banging away back there, and I love that. And out of my pocket and out of my mind, it's not bad lyrics. It's okay. It's, this is, no bad songs on this record so far for me.
0: Professor?
4: Well, I agree with you, Sam, because my first, my first notes here are, now here we go. This one does sound like the crows. Although when I think of a greasy grass river in the South, I'm thinking more about water moccasins, AKA cotton mouse, that super venomous snake with the worst disposition you've ever seen. If you ever run into one, trust me. (laughs) So this song is a little Beatles esque with some Southern fried Zeppelin licks to it. Um, it's got a great guitar solo from Craig Ross, who's Lenny Kravitz's guitar, as Ian mentioned. Um, it's a great rocker from an album that seems, to me, unfocused and joined it so far. I do like this song. I like the beat that you, that you guys pointed out that, that Gorman is playing. It's kind of just, it's a little behind, and it just kind of rolls along, and that's hard to pull off. But it's just, this band is so tight. And then I'm going to complain about the banding of the songs together. Um, one ends and the other one starts overlapping the previous. To me, that feels rushed, and it feels like, it's a CD. Let's throw on as much crap as we can, but that's what they did with CDs. I like this tune, and I really like it live. Lou, would this be a shuffle?
5: It's got a weird time signature, but I couldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't tap it out.
4: It's a slower shuffle, and it's it's not it's not continuous. Yeah, like it, it's got a it's got a stop beat in it. He it switches goes, it up. Yeah, yeah. It, it's three changed. and then four, and
3: three and then four, and then seven i have to listen to it again. You know? I'll have to count it up. Sorry, I, fig- my bad. I figured you would do it.
5: <laughs> it changes up, skips through the verses. Uh, a lot of these songs would clean up if it didn't sound like it was recorded on old, shitty, overloaded equipment. I, I guess that's part of its and the band's charm, though. Um, no snakes. It's got an old hippie flavor to it. And I, I could imagine Janis Joplin killing
2: this. Um, I like the song. David, I mean, we just got this funky psychedelic song, like you guys are saying. Craig Ross on here. Craig has a, a long kind of history of being on the periphery with the Crows. Uh, he did several projects with Chris, and quite honestly, had he not been with Kravitz when they got back together in '05, uh, I kind of think Craig would have gotten the call over Mark. To be honest with you, um, Ed Harsh and Rich—they're just lock and step on this w- during kind of the swampy run. It's a very heady song. Um, I think it could have fit on Three Snakes or Amorica. Um, The song was Elevated Live when Mark would play it after he got back in the band. Uh, It was kind of one of the things you wanted to hear. And um, we got these kind of ambiguous lyrics, but um, I kind of think the song is a little bit about going to that place in your mind where you care only about what you enjoy and just getting through the day.
0: Hmm. What can I say about this besides the dumbass song title? Well, the Crows head into full-on psychedelic rock, and it comes complete with the wah-wah guitars, burbling bass lines, ah, backing vocals, some groovy syncopation on those drums, and badass leads from one Craig Ross, a cat known as Lenny Kravitz's right-hand man, as well as guesting on other Luminaries records like Sheryl Crow, Mick Jagger, B.B. King, and Eric Clapton. To me it sounds like brother Chris is taking a psychedelic trip down the greasy grass river where he can be free and unfold his mystery. Does that mean he wants more sweet Kate Huss and pussy too? Must be some good shit he's on. The next track is Soul Singing.
6: We will we'll get high and we will feel safe and sound. It comes around.
0: Sam, let's have it.
3: Okay. Um, this is the one of the singles from the I album. Mean, it's got a... Uh, I mean it's good. It's got the there's some kind of alternate tuning I think they're doing in there and it sounds great and everything, but ah, man. I like the song. I don't skip it, but the the chorus in this song is like really weak to me. You know, you got my soul singing, got my soul singing. When you just had a perfectly decent, you know, verse where you could do something better than that. I don't know, man. Maybe they were just rushing. Maybe they were getting lazy. I don't know. I love the melodies in the song. When he goes, when, when Chris does the bend down, that's, that's great, man. But then when he goes, soul singing, I'm soul singing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Anyways, I do like the song, though, man. And I, I like the choir singers. Um, you know, that's required on every Crows record, I think, at some point, it seems like. But um it's, it's a good song. I don't skip it, but ugh, it would have been a five.
4: <laughs> Prof. So when I first heard this, I thought it was an homage to Over the Hills and Far Away. And according to Gorman, it originally sounded like that before what we got with what it ended up as. Chris is in love. I think he's a little distracted and he's not really putting as much effort into the choruses. I think that's why I feel that way, Sam. Uh, my love for this song, however, is clouded by the spectacular live versions from 2005, 2006. This kind of makes me view the studio version of this song like I look at a whole lot of love studio version. Um, you can recognize the, the framework and the jumping off points and the turnaround, but what they do with it live, the way they stretch it out, transcendent. The only thing that always kind of bothered me when I first heard it was the Araya Ya Ya Yaound and the Sa Ya 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 I thought, come on, it seems kind of cheesy, but Chris's scat singing at the end, like he's a preacher whipping up the congregation into a frenzy, that the song just makes me just makes it up for more, maybe more than makes up for it at that point. Lou,
5: the intro sounds like electrified acoustic, plugged-in acoustic guitars, uh, very in-your-face mix for the lyrics too. Um, the layered acoustics kind of sound tubby to me, very bass-heavy. I can hear Tenacious D doing this, covering this. That yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. I think it's a good sing-along song, good campfire song. You know, something to bash out on two or three guitars. You know, back in the Alabama woods. You know, another guy banging on a cooler side of a beer ball. Everybody singing along, doing mushrooms. <laughs>
4: Sounds like high school, huh, Sam? Yes, that's that's <laughs> sounds my like life, last man. weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: might have been. Had a good time.
2: <laughs> David, uh, probably the last radio hit they're ever going to have. Uh, this got a lot of play when it came out. Uh, my soul singing would be good too if I was going home to Kate Hudson around two thousand. I love this song, and and it's like Ray said, it's. It's one you really almost can't judge until you hear it live. Um, uh, Chris turns into a Southern Baptist preacher during this, and he's just leading the congregation. And you got the backup singers going. I, you know, it's got, the intro's kind of almost got like a Middle Eastern feel. And Ian, I know, knows what kind of guitar he's playing on. And it's kind of a special guitar that he really doesn't play anymore. Uh, if you know anything about Rich, he's a guitar freak. Um and loves buying all of these like kind of strange boutique guitars But uh if you see this one live it is so much fun I, I think it's just a happy love song to kate um, when mark ford was in the band in 0506 they re- This one and uh greasy grass river and uh lay it all on me were the ones that I really enjoyed getting to hear his take on But uh, like I said, this is the last one they're ever gonna have that, get- that gets any radio play and I don't have a problem with it
1: ian that would be a, a Zamatis guitar that he's playing, which kind of gives it that half acoustic, half electric kind of sound. It's very unique. And I like, I love what he's doing on this. There's actually a lot of stuff buried in the mix on the album version that on the live versions, particularly from 05, 06, kind of come to the forefront a bit more. And uh, Mark Ford does add something that kind of became a signature piece. He kind of um, mimics the melody line that Chris is singing throughout on his guitar. So that's really cool. I think, you know, it's, this is one of those crowd-pleaser kind of songs. You know, it's very easy to sing along to. It has a very, the chorus is is repetitive, but it also is, you know, it's got a hook to it. And, um, you know, I, I think it was a good choice to put this out as a single. And, uh, you know, I, I one of my favorites on the album for sure.
0: Musically, this starts off like the Crows want to ramble on, with Brother Rich imitating an acoustic guitar with a metal-bodied electric that Ian described on those arpeggios, and Gorman adding extra tippity-tappity-tom percussion. Then it goes into gospel territory, with Harsh's organ leading the way and Brother Chris coming on like a preacher man, and Don Wuzz keeps it real with some authentic soul singers to back up our boy, and the persons of Maxine Waters, Orrin Waters, Julie Waters, and Rose Stone. Must be something in the water. I always say, a happy Chris Robinson is a boring Chris Robinson. On the whole, his voice conveys pain better than joy. Yeah, we know, you dig your chick. And she's got your soul singing? No dunce. You got real soul singing behind you, son. Take notes and learn how it's done. This is the other single that reached number 12 on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. The following track is Miracle to Me.
4: Professor, you like this one? Uh, The beginning notes of this one sound like a Blind Melon song to me. Other than that, this is just your standard ballad. It's a little schmaltzy. But Chris was in love, so it's understandable. It's not my favorite song. It's not my least favorite song. It's simply okay. But I agree with you. Chris in love? Hmm, not so fun. Chris angry? A lot better. Lou?
5: I like the Rod Stewart "Every Picture Tells a Story" feel that this has got. Uh, I'm trying to place the chord progression, but I think it's just a really common in Southern rock and country, especially that lap steel they stuck in, or or um, yeah, lap steel. The delayed drenched solo is really sweet. Um, there's nothing new here, but I like what they've recreated. It's a nice feel, um, but it does sound like someone's got my man's balls in a vice.
2: <laughs> David I I love it. I think it's one of their better ballads. I think uh it has some of Chris's best delivery in it. Not you know, not in the high register, but that part where he just comes in and says, "Tell me why have you been crying?" The way he says it, it's just so much emotion in it. And see, i take it I got a different vocal take I think than everybody else on it. To me, it, it's it seems to be a woman he's in love with and she's in trouble. Uh, you know, either mentally or with like their relationship. And he is equally as in trouble as she is. And he's needing her to be a miracle to him to help him. But I love the strumming at the beginning. It's just it's just classic rich, you know, uh, with those chords. And I, I just love his delivery on it. And it to me, it, he conveys a lot of emotion here. I love just I, I, I really like this song. We did a ballads episode. Uh, it was me, Ian, and uh, Kate Thompson. She uh, she lives up in, I think, Connecticut or Rhode Island. And she was on, and she liked it as well. And there's a few songs that I have found doing this podcast that people are kind of closet fans of. Losing My Mind is one, and Miracle to Me is one. And so um, I take it for what it is. It's just a, a, a great ballad. Like you said, Lou, there's nothing groundbreaking here, but there's
1: nothing bad either. Ian. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I first heard the record, I, I kind of was more of the mindset that it was just kind of standard fare, you know, nothing nothing particularly good, nothing particularly bad. But over over the years of listening to it, I realized there's a lot of cool guitar stuff going on, like what Rich is doing, like Lou had mentioned before, the, the delay he's got going on on the solo, which really is an interesting, it was kind of off-putting to me when I first heard it, but I've, I've grown to really love that. And Ed Harsh is, is peppering in these really nice keyboard parts that just make this song for me. And, and it's just little elements like that all added up over time and really made this song a lot more special to, to me than it was when I first heard it. Sam?
3: I don't like it. They could have left this off and it have been a better album. This album, this record's too long. Everybody can agree with that. <laughs> but i this is my. This is the one that I would leave off. This would be my stinky stinker fat. If it was, <laughs> uh, I mean, but I do like it. I mean, it's a good song. But I like all the other songs so much that this would be the weakest one for me. And this is crazy. Why we did, we are literally disagreeing on every song, which is that's fine. But it's like what we're listening to two different records, man. It's fine.
0: It really fine. seems like it.
3: <laughs> it does, right. I don't mind it, man. You guys are great. I love it, but uh, uh, (laughs) this is like I can't believe you like this
6: song. Really? (laughs) Okay.
2: Man, you like you like Ozone Mama. You have no credibility.
6: You you have the same
3: reactions. Like, really, you like Ozone Mama?
4: (laughs) So it's it's crazy. I love this. It's It's coming from you know three three big fans that have delved deep. You know, we we all have probably probably every bootleg you could have from this band. So we've heard every version, you know, every every live version, every studio cut, everything. And it's just, we're looking at it from that perspective. And you guys all said, you didn't listen to this before. So this is because, is, you know, one of your first listens and you're listening to it, you're coming out with fresh your ears. We're, we're jaded.
0: <laughs> well, that's why it's great having you three on because... You know, you guys are the big fans, and you guys can tell us why we're wrong. I dig a good ballad. I really do. I'm a sucker for an acoustic guitar and a heartfelt tale, and I have little doubt that Brother Chris is singing from the heart when he's addressing his lady love, but his melodies are boring as shit on this one, (laughs) and the musical backing is fucking pedestrian. Even Ed Harsh can't save this snooze fest. This had potential, but in my uneducated opinion, needed some serious rewriting. I'd rather hear Brother Chris sing about fucking Miss Hudson than this weepy lovey-dovey shit. She talks to angels this is not. The next track is Young Man, Old Man. Lou,
5: what do you say? Anyone else hear this and think of the Sopranos? Woke up this morning, got myself <laughs> yeah. a gun. It's got that
4: same sort of that same sort of key that
5: it's in. Right? Funky theme from shaft, wah wah funk. I'm half expecting a guy with a porno stash and sunglasses to walk through the door in red short shorts with his dick hanging out the leg (laughs) (laughs) to deliver a bad dialogue about delivering a pizza to a leggy (laughs) pond with a 70s bush growing in between his legs. (laughs) Straight from Swedish erotica. (laughs) (laughs) The breakdown is pure Led Zeppelin before they slip back into the porno funk and Huggy Bear wants his fucking damn money biatch
6: you know what they say huggy bears is where the elite meet and come to greet the neat and fleet of feet who are so sweet with the finer things of life beep 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 beep
5: (laughs) it ends how it began with the sopranos theme in the back of the head
2: (laughs) david this is such a waste of a wasted opportunity on a song. Um, The lyrics are so bad; it just cannot cannot overcome the the cool funk and the, the verses almost have like a dub feel, like a dub reggae feel to them. Um, if the lyrics were better, uh, this would be a much better song. Now, I'll admit, I don't like it, but live, a little bit of a different animal; it has a little bit more of a bite to it. And they do jam it the heck out when they want to. But as far as the studio recording, uh, you can't get past the lyrics. I can't. Uh, as an instrumental, this would be great. Or if uh, you know they, you know, put some Curtis Mayfield type stuff on top of it, it, it would be great. But it's a huge missed opportunity. One of the biggest missed opportunities in their catalog. Ian,
1: David and I and I have always disagreed on this tune. And I, I love this tune musically. I, whatever. Elements Rich is experimenting with on guitar. I think they all sound great, and that's always what saved the song for me. But I, it, lyrically, I don't even think it's it's poor. I mean, there's some great little lines in there, like getting high, seeing with three eyes on a rainy day, like it's stuff like that. I think is really cool, and the music combined with Chris's delivery really come together. And I, I think it's a, it's a cool track. I've I've always liked it since day
0: one. Sam, why is it awesome? <laughs>
1: I agree
3: with Ian. Uh, exactly. I wrote down, getting high scene with three eyes on a rainy day is just a cool lyric, man. That's a, that's a cool line. And, you know, I don't know what the damn lyrics mean. Usually, man, I don't come to music and listen to the lyrics first. I'm always, uh, if if the music's good, then whatever the lyrics are saying, I don't really care, you know, until I get into it, like, deep, like if it's a Pink Floyd song. Then I'll analyze the lyrics, but I, I love this fucking song. It's just, the that riff, man, holy shit! And it's like that, like I said before, that that bass tone is really beefy here. Is it is it uh, Rich playing the playing the bass on this one? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And it's better. This just sounds great, man. And I can really dig that. Uh, and the breakdown on the outro riff, this guy's like the Meters, you know, the Meters vibe, you know. This is like uh, it's got some swampy ass Louisiana music going on here, man. And I, it's like and going out man and he goes after that he's like does anybody want some leaving to hear you say that it's fucking awesome man. It's a fucking great song. I wanna put my fish in the fucking air on this great song. This is great <laughs> song. I love this.
4: Shit. Prof. I always thought this was kind of a weird song for them. This is something I'd expect to hear at Burning Man at 3 a.m. after you've been up for four days. Some hippie gibberish about life's ex- existential questions set to a tribal beat with some cool riffs thrown in, all of us in a circle around a fire. The song grew out of us, uh, out of the song Old Man of the Midnight Sea. At least the main riff did. The ba bum bum ba bum That was a song about seeking answers to life's questions from the old man of the midnight sea. Sun stars earth, moon sky tide. I got the same the same line everybody else has said about getting high, seeing with three eyes on a rainy day. I've been dusted, busted, and blown away. Uh, the wall playing and the conga-like drum pattern during the verses is just cool. We've all got lines, and at the end, we're all going to pay. And here's where this bothered me when I, when I heard it, because I haven't heard this, this version for a long time. The rip that they start playing after that, um, during the chorus... Is from the next song, which out threw me because I kept going, where do I know this from? Where do I? And I kept I kept looking at every other recording I had of them, every other studio thing. I couldn't find, I couldn't find it, and then I let it play through, and then it's cosmic friend. The second chorus adds a harmonica. I'm not sure the harmonica player is playing the same song. I never really noticed it until <laughs> until I just <laughs> i like, what the hell is he doing? He's just, just blowing into it, like whatever. Um the playing up to the bridge is very Zeppelin-y sun stars again and that funky transition to the if anybody wants some let me hear you say exactly what are you offering mr robinson before i say i want it i I agree with you david it's a missed opportunity because this could have been more this is where the the producer needs to come in and say we can do better i've heard you guys do better let's go back so well this one sucks
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Someone please tell Brother Rich to lay off that wah pedal for a second. It drowns out the guitar tone. And damn if this doesn't have serious Freddy's dead vibes on it. With a terrible chorus tacked on. Nah, 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 nah. Oh my God. <laughs> and Latin percussion that has shades of sympathy for the devil. Brother Chris sings with a weird growly affect that he seems to think adds a little grip, but instead sounds clunky as fuck. And then he whips out his blues harp again, and the whole track sounds like a goopy mess. I can't make heads or tails of these lyrics, but maybe it's about a guy down on his luck who turns to criminal activity, and he's on the lam or some shit. I don't know. We all got to pay for our mistakes someday. I mean, hey, at least it ain't about Kate Hudson, right? Fuck this noise. It's Aaron Stinky Stinker. <laughs> but I, I'm You're just not, I'm not clear. Did you like this one or no? No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, what? (laughs) Best song on the record. (laughs) The following track is Cosmic Friend.
2: David, what do you think? All right. So I'm going to be a hypocrite here. I have just tooled on Chris for some of his lyrics and, and these are not good lyrics, but there's something fun about this song that I really love. I mean, we got the bees swirling around at the beginning. You've got that long drawn out intro that really isn't an intro because the song stops and goes almost like into another song. You've got the piano, you got the country steel guitar in the background but then when it kicks in it's almost like the dun, 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 dun. it's almost like a call and response uh with two guitar players one on one on either side of you know the the speakers the chorus is pretty nonsensical I and mean, it's chris got into this cosmic phase uh, as we like to call it back in these days you know everything's cosmic you know you talk about the cosmos and you know, when he did the Chris Robinson Brotherhood, it was country cosmic music, you know, and stuff like that, he would say. So this is kind of headspace he was in. And uh, I believe he was probably in the Cosmos when he wrote this. Uh, I think kind of like everybody's favorite part is you hear that um, harsh go cool, you know, uh, during the song. But, uh, yeah, th- they played this song and, um, you know, it doesn't translate well live to me. This is one that sounds better in the studio. So, uh, you guys can feel free to rip me for being a hypocrite because the lyrics aren't
1: great. But to me, it just comes across as a fun song.
0: Hypocrite.
1: Ian. David's absolutely right. This song falls apart live. It's never, they've never really pulled it off successfully live, but, uh, I like the, uh, the second half of the song, you know, with the, uh, as David was describing, uh, Rich's kind of call and response guitar part. And, uh, I kind of I think it's kind of a a group sing along kind of thing at the end. They kind of doing the you know, down and dirty nappy, tired, sad, nasty. You know that I, I like this song. It's it's definitely trippy lyrically, and it, it is when Chris was in his kind of uh, you know the cosmos or calling phase. Um, but I think I think it works on on record. Sam, okay, I think this is the first
3: time I, we've all agreed on a song. <laughs> it's, it went it took a few songs to get here, but. Yeah, I, I, I dig the song, too. Um, I dig the acoustic intro. That little piece, could, it's like a song before the actual song. I like that. I like the, the trippy transition to you know the main part of the song. I like the steel guitar, trippy build. And when the song starts proper, I mean, it's classic Crows. And, you know, it's got a cool sing-along part. You know, my friend, the Cosmos is calling. I love that
4: shit. Prof. The arrangement, the playing, and the lyrics to this one is very Grateful Dead influenced to me. They took a few fragments and song ideas and kind of mashed them all together and said, hey, let's do a song. The weird opening verse about the bees and the cymbal washes and the buzzing bees, and then they changed to a heavier acoustic riff with that annoying panning in my headphones. That strong steel guitar in the right channel playing country licks with heavy reverb. It's a lot of disparate parts all thrown in before the initial repeating verse creeps back in in a weird buildup for the first minute and a half. To me, it's kind of, of a pointless flight of fancy, more reverb steel and cymbal washes and bees buzzing, and then the song picks up with Rich's stabbing notes, and here we go. Gorman channeling Bonham and, and uh, Chris shouting lyrics and a call and response with the guitar, A Little Sugar for Your Mind. It's some loud, pounding, psychedelic funk. Ed's panning some spacey runs left and right through the chorus. Uh, my friend, the cosmos, is calling, saying we all should be shining. The second verse, the guitar, and the call and response starts throwing in some extra licks, which are kind of cool. The panning with, with the solos and an Ed's spacey keyboard coming in like a comet from every direction. Here, the Black Crows are inviting you to turn on, drop out, and tune in to the cosmos. Yay. <laughs>
5: Lou the intro is unapologetically cousin Kevin from Tommy we're on our own cousin all alone cousin <laughs> isn't that the one that diddled him no no it's the one beat the shit right. out of him. the intro successfully mashes up the who with Mick Taylor before it launches into this obnoxious romp that I can only imagine would fall apart live it sounds really clunky What the fuck is with that whirly bird, cicada, stop that pigeon noise that they have weaving in and out of the song? It sounds like our our special guest from uh, from Western Mass when he goes, you know, (laughs) correct. Stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon, stop the
2: pigeon, stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon.
0: I love that cartoon.
5: It sounds like a 73 Buick with a squeaky alternator belt, just driving up and down the street while they were trying to record. It's really fucking annoying. And it puts me in a shitty place. I find myself reaching for the skip button because of it.
0: You can just cut that whole Beatles psychedelic intro section right out of this. I don't care how many piano glissandos and martial drums you throw at it. And I fucking hate the noise of buzzing flies more than anything in life. Then it becomes a Zeppelin-esque thumper with heavy guitar riffs, and I get more interested. Plus, the solo has a sloppy, pagey feel. It's a tale of two tunes, and I'm definitely on team two. I'm sure these lyrics are about some kind of hippy-dippy connect-me-to-the-universe-we-can-all-groove-in-the-cosmos, some kind of crap, or maybe it isn't. This is one of the songs on the record that confounds me. There's stuff I like and stuff I don't, but ultimately it's way too disjointed and needs more work. The penultimate track is Cypress Tree. Ian, what do you say?
1: This is such a great tune to me. I mean, it, it it does get criticized for being reminiscent of "No Speak No Slave" from Southern Harmony, but I I, I never really fully saw that. I mean, yeah, um, guitar wise, there are a few similarities, but uh, and I'm not a tremendous lyric guy, but I think some of Chris's coolest lyrics are uh, from this album and from the catalog in general are, are in this uh, in this song. You know, things like uh, Glory, hallelujah, raise my glass up to you and bow my head with utmost respect. I think it's only fair to warn you there's a storm that's coming up on you, and like the wind and the rain, my words are direct. I just That, that is very cool to me. And for a non-lyric guy to focus in on, on lyrics, they had to be uh, something pretty cool. But uh, this this song's a, a a total
0: winner for me. Sam? I
3: agree with Ian um, um, exactly what he said. And also, though, there are... Chris sings this chorus like a like he's got a you know, he's possessed like a by a funky demon or some shit, man. Uh, when he says, "They're gonna hang you from a tree," and he just does something, and it has the same thing like he might have a uh, Ray might point this out that he's got a, a a megaphone in front of the mic or anything, but it works. I love the way he sings this shit, and I dig everything about this one. The flange, the strings in the back, the faint piano, banging that one note, the way it ends. And by the way, there are no fade-outs on this whole record except for no use line.
2: So.
4: Professor. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. Isaiah 55, 13. They always got to have a little bit of the Bible in their stuff. That's just the way that they are. Cypress tree is a member of the Redwood family, meaning tall, ancient trees. Yes, Sam. I dislike the vocal filter effect on Chris's voice in this song. But some of these lyrics, damn. By the way, this song was dedicated to George W. Bush on October 21st, 2005, as he left the town of Los Angeles. Ian took the lyric I was going to take about glory hallelujah. And the other one that struck me is, it's a funny word, friends. You get beginnings and you get ends. I guess I see you when we're ashes again. I guess they're going to hang you from the, t- the cypress tree and cheer, buddy. Prefer to hear a live version of this. It really shines live. The studio version doesn't kind of con- convey the same force, but this is a really strong song anyway. So
5: Lou. This is recorded really hot. It's not brick walled in the mastering, but it's, I think it's recorded like that. Uh, it's almost unpleasant in the tone. Maybe it's my old tired ears, but it's making them work really hard. It makes me think of that bar band that's really good but the sound man sucked so and it's so fucking loud that you just want to finish your drinks and go and then your ears ring on the next day the turnaround is very zeppelin the
2: whole record is the problem is they're not zeppelin david so you found yourself a killer the one with the blue eyes i guess the blood stain on the blanket don't lie i guess i saw it coming like a boy i just kept running but through this crime i have survived just amazing lyrics there uh, from Chris. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, I, I agree with Ray. When you hear it live, it 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 goes up a notch or two. I like how the song starts off with that uh, the dual acoustic and electric guitar strumming together. And um, the chorus, I feel like at times, is a little bit rushed. I prefer the delivery on the verses. I love the melody with which they uh, that he sings during the verses. And I love when they come out of the second verse the melody that rich is playing on the guitar a few few cool earworms here in the second verse with the pedal steel guitar not much to the solo you got to remember chris i mean uh, rich did a lot of these and and rich admittedly doesn't think he's a good soloist and mark ford used to always tell him yeah you are you need to try and so the solos are fairly simple on this album and they're more rhythmic in nature uh, rather being instead of being like noty but i think this song has an interesting meaning i've I've often wondered exactly what it was about. I've done some reading on it, and most people seem to think it's two things. One, it's about the life cycle of a drug user. They get clean, then they fall back. And you have these people that are cheering against you. You know, see, he was just always a drug addict, and we're just going to, you know, hang you up in the public square. But it's also kind of almost like a ant Uh, anti-wokeism before there was such thing as wokeism, because I heard him talk about, you know, when you don't conform to the mainstream, and you don't live your life the way that uh, the the mainstream wants you to do, and you don't fit into a box perfectly, it's like people decry you so much that they just want to get rid of you, and when you fail, it's a big deal, and I like the line and through this crime, I have survived he's basically telling somebody "I've, I've lived what you've been What you've lived through You just gotta put your head down and get through it Because there's those that never want you to succeed
0: Well, hello there And boy, did I need this one For fuck's sake, Black Crows Give me a bluesy rock number with hard licks A rock-solid beat and pounding piano And let brother Chris howl it out I've been waiting for this one After that run of lesser-than tunes you just gave us Now, I barely know what these words mean I really like your interpretation of it, David Yours is better than what I got I saw this as like from the perspective of two criminal friends who try to run from the scene of the crime and the narrator escapes but his buddy didn't and that buddy's gonna hang and oh well the narrator says it's a funny
4: word, friends. It's funny that you guys all hate the songs we like and and vice versa.
0: (laughs) And that brings us to the final track Lay It All On Me. You're How about this last one, Sam?
3: I like the song. It's a good way to end the record. Uh, to me, I'm not sure what it's about. But when I, when I read the lyrics, it, it was like, uh, you know, an old friend con- consoling another friend who's been through some shit, you know, and needs needs a place to, to crash for a little while, you know. And, you know, I've been there. So I, re- I relate to it on that part. And, you know, it's fine at, at the beginning. But then it builds, and I like it even more as it goes. I like it uh, the way it's, it's it's built subtly. I mean, it's like it's like it doesn't like here's the part where we're going to build it. It's building the whole time of the song. I like that. My favorite part of the song, though, is when the slides solo and then Chris Adlibs lay it on me. That's it's it's pretty, man. It's, it's building and like to an epic coda, but it's letting everything breathe. And I really love it. And I could I could listen to the song. They could have lost the song. And put this in the middle of it and I'll have been fine with that too. I think this is uh this is one of my favorite songs on the record, actually.
4: Professor. We agree, Sam. <laughs> uh, come it's on down, <laughs> come on down, crooked <laughs> man. Step on up, broken man. Well, it's okay to come cry, troubled man. Just ease your worried mind and rest a while. It's a similar mood to a descending. This is a redemptive ballad that builds and builds into a crescendo. Only this song is about someone who blew it and is struggling to regroup and rebuild. So come on, take a step out. Come and vent your spleen. Talk about it. I've come to see how you were doing. It's been a while. Looking back over your shoulder. You were restless and you were wild. Always running away. Once was young, now is older. That lay it all on me and that soaring solo. This is just a really strong way to end this album, which is another thing that the Crows do really well. Lou?
5: I laughed as I wrote that last song review and then started this one. I was ragging on them for not being Zeppelin, so they started sounding like Ron Stewart. This comes across as a good album closer, like Aerosmith's Home Tonight, a good going home feeling slow blues burner with that hairy rambling solo at the end, extra points for the orchestral John Paul Jones keys and not fading out and giving us a proper ending I like this track.
2: David. To me, this is top shelf post Mark Ford black crows. Uh, it's probably a top 20 black crow song for me. Um, it takes some real chutzpah to tell Ed harsh, set this one out and I'm going to play the piano on it, but that's what rich does, but it works because while it's not technically as proficient as Ed, there's a kind of a slipiness and a feel to it that I think add to the song. Um, so I was reading about this and apparently Gorman went up to Chris after it's, it's the lyrics and he really liked them. And he said, uh, is this about your father? And Chris said, uh, no. And Steve told him, he said, cause it's about you. And he said, isn't that right? And he said, st- Chris looked at him and said, maybe and walked off. Uh, I think this is somebody that has lived through a lot of years and Chris would have probably been around not much older than 30 at this point. And, you know, they hit it off so early. Rich was 16 years old when he wrote, she talks to angels, you know? And so they just, they never had real world experiences. And they just went straight into this eat them up, spit them out music business. And by this point they had gone from the cat's meow to kind of a also ran. And then, Jimmy Page brought him back into the public spotlight. And I just think it's somebody that this life has really worn on and feels like he's probably lost some years that he's not going to get back. And part of it's his fault and part of it's not his fault. Uh, as far as the playing on it, the outro is one of my favorite codas of all time. Uh, if you see him play this in 05, 06 when Ford was in the band, it's epic, just epic the way he came in with the slide. Um, it's a great song in the album. Just like Amorica on Amorica, uh, Descending is just the perfect way to send you home. And, uh, you know, th- this ends an album that you take away four or five songs and add a couple of the B-sides that they recorded on that. And it's a totally different album. But like I said, uh, this is Top shelf postmark Mark Ford Black Rose.
1: Ian. I'd have to agree with David on this one. Wonderful way to close the album. This song has such cool dynamics to it, lyrically, it's really cool. And it at the end, it showcases some of Rich Robinson's finest lead work. I don't think a lot of people realize that that is Rich Robinson playing. But, uh, you know, I've become very adept over the years at picking out his style. And, uh, you know, it's, it's 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 a nice after after Cypress Tree. It's almost like in uh, in gospel tunes. We have like a cool down kind of thing. That's kind of what the beginning of Lay It All On Me is. And then, of course, it just ramps right back up dynamically. But it ends the album on a really good note.
2: The ending of it, honestly, to me, is, I think is almost an homage to Fearless by Pink Floyd at times with how it kicks in with that slide guitar toward the end and, and you have, you know, have the play out. And they, they obviously have covered that song a lot with Mark Ford and with Luther Dickinson. But uh, yeah,
0: I, I just, this is such a good song to end this album. David, you have just invoked Sam George's superpower.
3: <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, yes, uh, I could hear that in, in there. Uh well played, sir.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm a Pink Floyd nut, man. I'm a Pink Floyd nut.
0: Take that, Ed Harsh. Brother Rich wants to tickle the Ivories this time, but don't worry. He'll let you play with your organ. And then it develops into a big Elton Johnish piano ballad, including the strings, which are used properly this time. They enhance the emotional weight as opposed to overwhelming the other instruments. This is a well-written song. And the big bluesy slide guitar solo that closes it out is tasteful and choice. Good job, Brother Rich. Brother Chris emotes about an older guy looking back on his younger life choices with regret. Gave up his dreams for fame and riches no matter the cost, and it cost a ton. The narrator says, I'm here for you. Let it all out. I'll take some of that weight. It's a solid, if not transcendent, like it wants to be closer. I got a feeling this is a song I would really need to experience live, especially the way you guys are describing this. I'll bet they could take this and really make it something special. Here it's just kind of, it's good, but I think Descending slays this. Now that the track-by-track is finished, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0-5 to system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is hanging from that cypress tree. David, what are your final thoughts on Lions? Steve
2: Gorman said it's the one he wishes they could redo. Uh, I think he sees the potential in it like a lot of people do. You have those four songs that I ragged on. You take those off. uh, You got a nine-song album put in Last Time Again, which is one of the... uh, the b-sides they recorded on this and you've got a different thing but we're not talking about that we're talking about the actual album that came out in my mind anything above a three is a good album Uh, i give this three and a half
1: ian actually right there with david in terms of the number about three and a half i think this is a unfairly maligned record in the crows catalog and if people spend a little more time with it i think they'd, they'd find much more to appreciate about it is it the best record in the crows catalog absolutely not but there is, there is a lot to take in and enjoy here, and it's, uh, it's definitely much stronger than people give it credit for.
0: Sam?
3: Well, I agree with David and Ian, and um, I, I like it a little more than you guys do, but it's the fourth best record to me in their discography, and I give it a four. There's a couple of their records I give a, give a five. I think, you know, the Southern Music is a five for me, and Mork is a five. If This is right on the level with uh, Shaker Moneymaker. It's a four. And uh, I'm a damn proud to be a Black Rose fan. And I'm, thanks for letting me come on here and uh, hang out with you guys, man. The State of America podcast. This is fucking awesome. Thank you,
4: Professor. Well, I'm going to be long winded because that's what I am. Um, this is not the most beloved Crows album in their fan base. They're abused and loyal fan base one with too many similarities to Stockholm Syndrome. But why do so many Crows fans dislike this album? Well, first of all, it's the expectation coming off of a very successful, if suddenly cut short, tour with Jimmy Page. A tour that regularly brought the house down with the mix of Zeppelin and Black Crow songs played by a top flight band, a band that seemed to rediscover itself after a wrong turn at Albuquerque off of an album known as By Your Side. Secondly, the production. It's too slick. Another reviewer on YouTube said that lions had the black crow crow sounding less like themselves and more like Puddle of Mud or any other number of current acts. Third, did you ever hear the one about last year? It was all a lie. Ain't it funny how the time flies? What are we going to do, baby? There's nothing left to prove. I've never stolen nothing. No, not a thing. Tried to stay away from this year's big thing. Well, now I think that's the, at the crux of the problem that most hardcore fans have with this album. It seems that the band had sold out to this year's big thing. For me, the album has flashes of why I love this band. It's not their best work. I wish Don Was was more of a producer here, more of a that's good, not quite there yet, and you can do better kind of producer, but he just kind of let it all happen. Also, the album sounds too pristine for my ears. This is a gritty juke joint sounding band, and the production being this clear is actually kind of off-putting. Along with using the vocal effects on Chris's singing, that certainly doesn't help it. I came away listening to this album like I did with Keith Richard's solo album. The missing elements of the band are really missed. The chemistry isn't quite there, and it shows in the sound. Me being such a fan has informed my perception of this album. It is a good album. Just not a good Black Crows album, if that makes sense. Maybe it's, it's the fact that it's got too many songs on it. They sound like they're reaching. Chris, their primary lyricist, is in love and is distracted. The band itself kind of sounds tired and weary. Looking back retrospectively, it's no surprise they went on an indefinite hiatus after releasing, this, after releasing a bland live album following this tour. They seem to have lost their compass. All that being said, my rating is a solid 3-5. It sounds like so many other bands, so many other nineties bands. Third Eye Blind, Puddle of Mud. It's no Third Eye Blind's debut album though, but it holds its own next to it. Lou. It's better than I expected,
5: but there's no real banger in the bunch. It's it's a good record to put on like and work in the background. I'm not connecting to any of these songs here to make it that great record for me. As is the case with their second one, Southern Harmony. I mean, that I can really I, I connect with that record. I, I can't give one of these songs anywhere the kudos that I could give that album, anything on that album. I give this a middle of the road three. I don't hate it, but if I'm going with Crows, it's going to be an entirely different set of tunes.
0: Like I said earlier, I wasn't following the Black Crows anymore by the time this record came out, so I was new to all of these songs without the benefit of knowing the context in which they were written and the state of the band at the time. But I do know their early albums, and I can hear an evolution in their sound from the roots rock Rolling Stones-influenced early years to the mid-period Led Zeppelin experimentation on display here. The blues is still at the heart of most of these tunes, but there's an emphasis on funk, soul, and psychedelic elements— that broaden the crow's reach with mixed results to my ears. There are a lot of good to very good songs here, but I feel like there's a great album in here somewhere. Some of these songs feel too disjointed, too undercooked. The ideas need to be developed more. The production is suspect in spots. The guitar tones are also off on many of these songs. They're not the sounds I associate with this band, and I miss those tones. This has too much processing on them, too many effects, including on Chris Robinson's voice. He sounds odd on some of these. There's also a noticeable lyrical shift. Obviously, Chris's relationship at the time was influencing his writing, as we, as I, all have noted numerous times on this episode, and I don't begrudge him for that. Albums are usually snapshots of the writer's headspace at the time, and there is a somewhat acknowledgement of maturity creeping in these lyrics. Not necessarily better or worse, just different. Now, all that said, overall, I enjoyed listening to this album. I don't think it's in the class of the first three records, but it's also not a pile of shit. There's a lot for me to like here. I give Lions a three, and I feel like it was worth my while to spend a little time with it. Now we'd like to thank David Hudson and Ian Rice from the Great State of America podcast for joining us as we attempted to tame the lions. Fellas, plug all of your podcasts and anything else our listeners need to know about.
1: Well, you can find us on all the standard podcast platforms and all the social media platforms, and we also do have a Patreon page going on that's uh, a lot of fun, and I think uh, anybody that's into the black Girls have a good time there with us, and I appreciate you Uh, having us on because this has been a big thrill for me. Thank you so much.
0: David.
2: Yeah. Just echo what Ian said. I always have fun coming on here. Uh, I look forward to this episode, your episodes dropping on on Fridays because you can't put my, my taste in a box. Um, I'm like, I tell people i listen to the cure one day and Megadeth the next. I like good music and I love the, uh, just the diversity on there. I think Lou here has added another dimension to it as well. Uh, Sometimes I have to pull over, laughing at some at some of his at some of his remarks. But uh, yeah, just what Ian said. Thank you so much for coming home here. It 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 really is. It's it's one of my favorite podcasts. And I, I I'll pump the professor's head up. And I've told you this before, Aaron. The three uh, album run you guys did with the Stones that October with Exile, Some Girls, and Tattoo You. It's three of the best podcasts I've ever heard, regardless of content. And so um, I, I love this podcast. I really do. It's, it's one of my top two or three that I listen
0: to. I really do appreciate that. Thanks, man. And I, State of America I mean, black, that's the Black Pros podcast, right? I mean, I'm a I, uh, regular listener, and you guys have great—you got Steve Gorman on there. That just blows my mind. Is he as cool as I want him to be? Cooler. Cooler. Oh. I'll, tell, I'll, tell you, I'll tell
2: you a quick story. Uh, he has a kind of a soul and R&B band called Trigger Hippie. And uh, they're actually really, really good. Joan Osborne was in it. Audley Freed was in it. Jackie Green. Anyway, they were playing in Nashville last March. And I got a group of us together. I think it was 16 of us, literally from Connecticut to L.A., Mississippi to Michigan, you know, everywhere. And he's really cool to me. If I sit messaging, he always responds, you know, and he, you know, he's just really cool to me. And so I told him, I said, hey, I've put together this group of people Any chance, uh, you know, we could just get a picture with you, whatever he said, when the show's over, just hang out in front of the stage. And so, uh, I told everybody when we walked in, I said, don't, uh, don't scatter after the show. And they're, they're like, why? I said, Gorman's going to come hang out with us. And they're like, oh, really? And so we're all standing there and he just comes out and goes, well, played guys. Well played, sat there and talked to everybody, took a picture with everybody uh, sent me a message the next morning, just how much he appreciated that. Uh, he's just nice and is a cool guy. Look, Johnny Colt from the Black Rose took me to lunch a couple months ago in New Orleans. Three-hour lunch. I hear from him all the time. Sven Pippian, who's the bass player now. Charlie Starr from the from Blackberry Smoke. Uh, friends with him. All because of this podcast. And 14-year-old uh, me was having Johnny Colt walk me through the French Quarter in New Orleans to my car. And he said, give me a call. Let me know when you made it home. I couldn't. It's it just fried my mind, but
4: uh, yeah. Did so you call him and talk to him
2: all the way home? Long, long-winded <laughs> question. Steve Gorman is That's awesome. Uh, Steve Gorman is one of the coolest, nicest, down-to-earth, appreciative human beings I've ever met.
0: When are you getting the brothers Robinson on? Uh, well, there's talk never of uh,
1: hell freezing over soon. And, uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, yeah. And I just want to say I, your podcast is fantastic, and you fellows are welcome back anytime. We don't even have to talk about the crows. We talk about anything you guys want. Both of you, your owe open invitation. Thank you very much. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms, wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at r 4 podcast Aaron and Instagram under R4 Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. I'm Sam. I'm the Professor. And I'm Luke. See ya! Не, 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 ne.
6: So, uh, uh, Sam, Prof, Lou for the f- for the sign off. All right, here we go. Okay. So for the r four podcast, I'm Aaron. I'm Sam. I'm and I'm Lou. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's Lou, and I'm the professor. <laughs> uh,
4: redo, redo.
6: Sorry, I've been edging all night. <laughs> I popped a little too quick. All right, right, I'll clean that up. That's that's going in the chipmunk. That is going in the chipmunk.